Hey Warriors, welcome back to this week's episode of Warriors Unite Podcast with me, your host, Carolyn. In this week's episode, I am joined by Tracy. Tracy is the parent of one of our former guests, Haley, and she will discuss with us what it is like being the parent of a child with a chronic illness such as POTS. So I do hope you will stay tuned as us Warriors Unite. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Warriors Unite Podcast with me, your host, Carolyn. This week we are being joined by the lovely Tracy. Hi Tracy, how are you? Hi there, good good day. <laughs> good. Tracy, do you want to tell the listeners um, where you're calling in from? I am calling in from the Tampa Bay area in Florida in the United States. Oh, lovely. So if there's a bit of a delay, people, you can understand we are quite a bit bit away from <laughs> away from each other when it comes to mileage and hours. So um, if sometimes we talk over each other, it's due to the delay. Also, I want to let people know before I hand it over to Tracy. Tracy's going to let you know why she's on this week's episode. Um, we've had her daughter was on our last series, um, Haley, and she had a condition with POTS. So Tracy's going to tell us her, her story being the parent of a child that has chronic illness. So I'm going to hand it over to you now, Tracy, and um, you can tell us all about your and your daughter's journey. Sure. Thank you. Um, I had reached out to you and asked if perhaps I could give my side because seeing so many people's different stories through the Instagram posts to support the effort to make the awareness that I was just a little overcome with how much more information is out there now than there was just even, I think Haley got, she got formally diagnosed probably a little over a year ago, but we suspected that she had POTS probably about three years ago. I read an article. Um, it just popped up on my newsfeed. It was so weird. Um, I printed it and I don't have it next to me, but it was written by an American football player um, about his, Nick Foles, about his wife, Tori. And I think the title was something like um, the, the most un- diagnosed disease that exists among us or something like that. And he told the story about his wife and her symptoms and how um, her symptoms were progressing when they started and that she had finally been diagnosed with POTS. And as I read that article, it was like I was reading Haley's story. And I was just like, then started like, what is this? Where do you get it? Who do you go to? And I sent her the article, and I think um, at the time she was in college. She might have already started going to um, the Aveda Institute for Hair Design, and um, and she was under an incredible amount of stress. Um, this was her dream. She wanted to be successful. She didn't want to be a sick person. Um, she was trying to, oh, she was basically trying to ignore, I think, what was happening, the migraines, the stress, mm -hmm. the pooling in the legs, the, the eczema, the breakouts, the skin conditions. Um, she had already started um, having some fainting episodes, but they were never with me, which was very confusing to me. I would get a phone call and go, Oh, um, you know, we had Haley and she fainted, but we gave her some Gatorade. We think she was just dehydrated. And I heard that a lot. And plus the migraines, she would say, oh, I just am so sick. I can't stand up. And so we just sort of attributed it to the migraines. So when I um, sent it to her, she kind of did it to, it was like one of those, yeah, yeah, mom, like I, I can't be sick right now. So I'm not going to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And then she wound up graduating. And I think that was when she was like, okay, I, she moved back home for a little period of time to, to start her career. And I think that was when she was able to like, take this deep breath and go, okay, I'm where I need to be, but I'm not better. And we started um, with her general practitioner who did not know the word POTS at all. <laughs> the more research that I did, I wound up like kind of working backwards to family and friends that had spent time with Haley as she was little. When she was little, she had 
very, a very, very close, um, we had close family friends that Haley was best friends with their daughter and she spent a lot of time with them. And I contacted them and I was like, help me out here. And are you aware of POTS? And sadly, and I say that because it is sad, they were familiar with POTS because a local um, high school student who had gone to college from Tampa Bay actually lost her life because of the diagnosis and her, um, her just feeling like what kind of future was she going to have when she was so sick. And really this was only a few years ago, but there was really not a lot of hope. Um, they started an effort in the Tampa Bay area for dysautonomia awareness and POTS in her name. So our family friend was very familiar with it. And they were like, you know what? We can remember that Haley, you know, it was sort of like this, oh, Haley's so cute, but we could go through a box of Band-Aids in a weekend with her because she's always like pointing at parts of her body going, this hurts, this hurts. And they would look and there would be nothing. And so they were, they were just so wonderful to her. They would be like, how about we just put a Band-Aid on it? You know, like, hey, we'll put a Band-Aid on it and be on our way. And they said, we remember that. And then we all remembered that um, there was a group of us that used to go to like a local community pool and several different families and all the kids, there's probably about 15 kids running around and playing. And Haley would start off like so happy to see all of her friends. And I am talking like by the time she was five, she all of a sudden it would be like, where's Haley? And she would have gotten herself over to one of the um, chase lounges and grab a blanket or a beach towel and put it over her head and go to sleep. And of course, you know, everybody else has their kids running around, buy me this, I'm hungry, this and that. So they all sort of kind of looked at me like jealous, like, oh, look at Haley, so good. She just goes and takes a nap. But thinking back, that obviously was a red flag. Um, by the time she was 12 or 13, probably even a little earlier than that, it was really becoming evident we had something going on. She had chronic strep, strep throat during her entire elementary school. Um, and the poor thing was in competitive cheerleading, which I look back at it now and I'm like, why did we do that to you? And, but she loved it and she made friends and she learned to have confidence in herself. And those things were so important when she felt sick all the time. It was really, it was really good for her to have these successes and she loved going on weekends with the team and things like that. But um, by the time adolescence started, um, it was really fatiguing. It was like, I can't get out of bed. I can't go to school. And um, maybe a little bit to her credit, she's got a mom that I'm not a big believer of send your kids to school no matter what. <laughs> I would say to her, all right, you need a day. And I think that was the start of like a day, you know, lay in bed. And, but it was legit. It was real because we would get these positive strep tests back. So I knew she was sick. So it was able to be justified. And then, um, you know, and everybody was sort of like strep sort of plays itself out. And, you know, once teenage years come, it becomes like maybe she needs her tonsils out or something like that. And um, by the time she was 12, I was begging her pediatrician, help me. I don't know what this is. And she's not the type of kid that just wants to be sick. We're not. And another thing that I think um, maybe interfered with me getting her the help she needed sooner is by nature and generationally, we're not a sick family. Like my mom got diagnosed with fibromyalgia in her 40s and suffered from it her whole life and was told, you're fine, you're fine, those are growing pains. And she just, you know, thought that there was something like mentally wrong with her, that she was in all this pain and everybody was telling her to suck it up. We were, you know, a chicken soup, put your head over a pot of Vicks family. You don't go to the doctor for anything. <laughs> so, you know, and then the healthcare system in the United States, like 20 years ago was so dysfunctional 
that my kids always got the message of, we don't have insurance, don't get sick. Get out of that tree, don't break an arm. We don't have the money to take you. So, you know, Haley, we, we were able to get some assistance through the kids care here in Florida. So Haley was being seen for the strep throat and getting medicine and things, but nothing more than that. They did blood work on her when she was a teenager or pre-teenager. And they said, it could be just that she's starting to go through puberty. The hormones are changing. So, you know what? We banked on that for a long time <laughs> until, until we yeah, couldn't anymore. It's an easy answer for them, isn't it? Because that's what I was going to ask you in case anybody's listening. They wanted to know the signs for it. When your child is coming to that age and they're 12 or 13, or if she's female and she's going to come on her period or anything like that, if you notice a difference and a pattern of change in your child, please, 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 please don't put it down to hormones because a lot of these chronic illnesses, like over 90% of them don't show up in tests. And this is the reason why they're called called an invisible illness or a hidden illness, because all the results will come back clear. Nothing shows up in it. So please listen to your child. If they say they're not feeling well, don't put it down to hormones. Yeah, exactly. In fact, in my gut, when they told me that, I wanted to believe that could be it, but I knew there was something else going on. I just didn't know. And then the migraines started and her dad suffered from migraines as a teenager. So again, I just sort of wrote it up to, oh, he outgrew it, she'll outgrow it. And, um, you know, I think as a parent, going through this and looking back, I can't get stuck on the guilt that I have, which is extremely Mm -hmm. overwhelming for missed opportunities to help her. But my personality within itself is not a helicopter mom. So I don't know that I would have treated her any different. I think it would have been like, oh, we got a diagnosis, but we're going to keep moving on with our life. You shouldn't feel guilty because there's medical professionals out there that can't even diagnose these conditions. So don't put it down to you. If, if, if there's not enough awareness out, awareness out there for it, how can you help someone that you, you don't know anything about? And I know this myself for a fact because my father, Lord rest his soul, he passed away 15 years ago at the age of 59. He, um, my mother said from the age of, he was about 16, he used to have fainting episodes. And, I, and when he was dating my mother, she would, run up to his house and get him small little glass fill loads and loads of salt and lukewarm water and that's what she would give him now my father was born in 1946 so back then that's how they were treating faint it's funny they're treating fainting episodes with um lifting up or increasing your limit your amount of salt intake and <laughs> they're still doing it to this day so i think now and i've said it to doctors numerous times to the fact that my father was having that and he'd get his side effects, he'd have Bell's palsy, losing all the left-hand side of it. He was getting very bad brain fog. He was on, which is the same medication I'm on now, only for I'm on a nasal pump of it for migraine. He was on a tablet form. Um, and they couldn't see the connection of it. And for my dad to have had it, I think was definitely possible. They called it sinuscope. That's all they put it down to back then. Um, for me to have it, and now my 14-year-old son, I do think that there is a there, that there is a genetic thing there, definitely. I would love to see the research and the treatment for the for this umbrella disorder, you know, the the dysautonomia, um, really get amped up to start trying to find the gene or make the connection. Um, I, you know, Haley talked a lot about the process of getting diagnosed and just how frustrating that was. And it's funny because as I'm reading other people's stories on the Instagram um, postings for the awareness, I just cannot believe, it just really angers me. I guess the guilt and the anger then get, you know, kind of um, balanced out. How many doctors are telling women or, you know, people suffering with these symptoms that this will go away. You will outgrow this one day. And Haley heard this, this was, the last doctor we went to was a neurophysiologist that looked at her and said, yeah, chances are this is probably your diagnosis, but you know what? You're gonna wake up one day and this is gonna be gone. And I looked at him and this was after a cardiologist told us it was not POTS. 
And I just looked at him, I said, how can you say that? She has every single mm-hmm. symptom. Well, um, yeah, and Haley explained the tilt table test that um, they would not legitimize, you know, make the diagnosis legitimate through the tilt table, but she passed, failed. I don't really understand mm-hmm. the logic, but she passed out while she was on the tilt table, which yeah. is the indicator for POTS. And the cardiologist said, no, that wasn't it. And then the neurophysiologist said, you can go to Vanderbilt and get her, you know, and get her diagnosed. And I said, but we, we don't, we're so way past, we don't, the diagnosis, okay, but now what? Like, I don't need to go to Vanderbilt and spend $30,000 to be told she has POTS. We're pretty clear this is what she has. So her and I walked out of that office and I just looked at her and I said, we're done. The medical model is not working for this disorder. This We are so far beyond our knowledge base of you than the, than the medical model. We're gonna do this ourselves. So yes, we did do the research and she started taking salt tablets. We were, you know, without the medical diagnosis, we didn't want to go so far as to start treating it as it. And then if it wasn't, then what are we doing? So we took baby steps. We started with the salt tablets, the compression stockings. She was working crazy, crazy at the time as she was talking about, and that really is unfortunate, but she needed to do it. There is no way she would have felt better if we said, you cannot try to achieve your successes because of this you know, disorder, syndrome, disease, whatever. And she, um, she had to do it, but we think it, you know, as she talked about, probably set her body back in its trauma and its, and its lack of healing a bit. It was a bit, much on her 10 hours a day, hand in chemicals, trying to be on for everybody that walked in. It, it took its toll, but if she was told, no, you can't do it, she would have done it anyway. So there we go. So we were trying these things. And then I think um, for me, because, you know, I think Haley explained, I'm, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. So I kind of approach life with this problem solving, solution based, positivity, we're gonna, this is gonna be okay. Um, So I approach that naturally. So I was like, we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing and research and one day somebody's gonna have more answers for us. And then she called me from a friend's house. I was about an hour and a half away. And she is like, I need you and I need you now. I said, what's going on? Because she was pretty independent at this point. And she said, I drove to visit my friend and I cannot leave. And I am so sick, I need to go to the ER. So I said, okay, so I came and got her. And she, I'm telling you, Carolyn, I did not, I thought she was getting admitted. She was shaking from head to toe. She was white as a ghost. She at this point was kind of like dry heaving crying, I am telling you, moaning and crying in such pain. And I've got her in my car and I'm, you know, the level headed, we're just gonna keep our cool. We're not gonna get nervous, driving her, calming her down. Haley, you know, try not to gulp all that air in, you know, let's just stay calm. I brought her to, I I wish I could remember the name because they were incredible to uh, uh, emergency here, like in the Orlando area. And they like, um, they like came in, as this team and just triaged her. They brought her to get all kinds of testing, blood work, as we said, you know, she has POTS, she's, she's in distress. And I honestly, I was texting my husband going, there, there's no way we're leaving. They're gonna have to admit her. This is, I, I thought my daughter was dying. I mean, that's how, and then, um, they, you know, as they're running the test, she, the poor baby, I, th- I forget what they did, but she had a reaction to the dye in whatever they were pumping through, I think to look at her heart or something. So as she's sitting there like dying, now all of a sudden these red blotches are appealing, appearing all over her face. And she's, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening to you? And she goes, let me see. She looks in the camera and she's like, oh my God gosh, what what is wrong with me? And now we're kind of laughing, but I watched them immediately bring her a bag of saline with whatever was in it. 
And like 25 minutes later, she looked at me and she said, well, we can leave now. And I said, what? And she's like, I feel so much better now. And so I Googled, is saline treatment helpful for POTS? And lo and behold, there was like some random like citation that said, yes, this could be helpful. So I said to her, we're not doing this ER anymore. We have to figure out how to get you the level of hydration that you need when you're starting to flare up and you're starting to not feel good. And she talked about this um, when you interviewed her, but she then found the, um, you know, the, the, the fashion IV um, storefront places that are really for people, as Haley said, who are hungover and wanna go get a boost. But she, um, but sh they worked really nicely with her. Um, the ones here in Florida, she hasn't been as successful in Georgia. Um, they work nicely with her. There are nurses there that knew what levels of what to give her. I think she was getting the Myers cocktail and she, um, that to me was one of those moments where I thought maybe we've got this figured out a little bit more now. Maybe we, maybe this is, it, it was horrible to watch her go through it, but then seeing that something actually worked and made her feel better and, you know, eliminated a 24 to 48 hour hospital stay was to me, like, it was like gold. It was like somebody handed me the best gift ever. And I know that must sound strange. Isn't that great? You learned your daughter, you know, can recover quicker from IV treatment, but it really, really helped her. It has eliminated pretty much her um, hospital, her ER visits. And um, she now takes the liquid IV, which I think, um, and she's really, really good about it. Like she's really like, I need this and she's really good. And that was a, a turning point for me where, um, not that I didn't believe her before, of course I did. Um, I was with her mm -hmm. every doctor's appointment, but it, in my own head, it clicked that this is real and this she's living with this. This is not going away. And, um, you know, I have so many well-meaning, loving, concerned friends and family who are a couple of steps behind me in coming to that realization that still sort of say things like, well, maybe if she just did some yoga or can't you find another doctor or... And I'm like, you know what? I'm concluded. I don't need any more doctors at this point. She might need some treatment at some points, at some stages, but um, I, this is it. We, and you know, and I had to go through this process of why do I think my child is different, or as a parent, this is different than any other parent who has a child with any kind of illness, any kind of disorder. There are many, many children out there or parents who are struggling with things that are far more, you know, terminal and concerning and invasive than this. So why am I in denial? Why am I not, you know, wanting to really face this? This is what this is. And it's not, um, you know, th the only thing to be concerned about at this point is the lack of awareness for it. That's the only thing now I'm concerned about. I feel like she is in her process to wrap her head around it. I was visiting with her recently in Georgia with her and her husband, which um, from the psychological end of it or the emotional end of it, I would say learning that IV treatment works and her meeting her soulmate are the two things that have um, brought her to the closest thing to a cure. Because this young man is just like, ugh, I get so emotional because he's, he's exactly what I pictured. She would fit, who would fit best with her. Haley has had, you know, the good fortune of having people around her who care about her and love her, but also don't have the balance of letting her be her that want to 
caretaker and who don't understand that that you have to do that in a balance. Otherwise, she could very easily become so dependent on somebody else taking care of her. And um, her husband is just, um, he just, uh, he just understands her and he gets it. And they've, she's not been really able to work. And in the United States, POTS is not recognized as a disability by the Social Security Administration. Not that she wants to be dependent and not that she doesn't want to earn her own money, but it's tough. It's, she can't, she, she cannot work a nine to five, 40 hour a week, things are too unpredictable. She, some days she's good, other days the, the bed is her friend. And um, so I was up there to help them. And I was like, hey, do you guys need this? And ooh, this would be nice. You know, I'm trying to organize them and stuff. She goes, well, mom, if you're giving away money, I'd sure love a wheelchair. And Carolyn, it was like somebody took a hugest like knife and shoved it into my lungs mm -hmm. and let all the air out of my chest. And of course, I, you know, I react with this. Um, well, I think insurance maybe could cover that. And she, her eyes were just like, you're not hearing me. Mm -hmm. And she said, um, then I'll just get it from the Facebook marketplace. It's like a hundred bucks. And I had to, you know, I had to grapple with, it's not the money. It's not the it's not buying it for her, obviously. It was a stupid, ignorant response to say, oh, insurance can take care of that. It was more of, I'm looking at my beautiful 24, almost 24-year-old daughter who looks beautiful, looks healthy, is vivacious and fierce and smart. And I, picturing that her in a wheelchair to me was an image I couldn't handle. It was it was almost like, are we giving up? That's what a, it felt like to me is like, are yeah. we? And I said, so when I like recovered and I was able to, you know, put my smart head back on, I just said to her, talk to me more about this. What, what are you thinking is the reason this is going to be helpful? And she said, I really wanted to go with Austin. That's her husband. She goes, I really wanted to go with Austin last night to um, Austin does tour guides up in Savannah. If you ever, anybody's ever in the Savannah area, find Haley on Instagram and get a tour with Austin because he's incredible. Um, she goes, I really wanted to go on that tour with him and I could have if I had a wheelchair, but I can't walk. And then it's sort of like started going, oh, this, this isn't sickness. This is mobility. This is a tool to help her live her fullest life. And yes, yes. so what if anybody looks at a young girl who looks perfectly healthy being in a wheelchair? You know, people need to stop judging that stuff anyways. But um, so I bought her her wheelchair and she posted like a little video of him. You know, she called him the greatest of all time husband, you know, pushing her around while they went to museums and stuff. And now, so now I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Now I'm like watching other people's posts on, on the awareness and looking to see, does she need a cane? Boy, those canes look good. You know, all these things that other people now are saying are helpful for them. But it, it turned a corner from being sickness to she's got a disability and there's nothing wrong with that. And we're gonna give her whatever she needs to be able to live the best life that she could possibly live yeah it, it is it, it's to give her um better quality and I try to explain this to people it's if you need a pair of glasses because it's going to help you read better are you going to go and get them a pair of glasses yes so that you can read if you need a wheelchair so that you can stay outdoors and live your life longer then you're going to have that wheelchair. I can say that from personal experience. I've been a prisoner in my own home for 17 years um, because after 20 minutes, I can't stay on my feet. And I've missed, I know it gets me emotional, an awful lot of life because of that. And I'd love to have the chance to be able to get a wheelchair. I have my disability, but I'm at home. I've missed out on a lot of things. I can't travel on holidays with my children because of it you know and as, and as a single parent it's a lot I've had to do I had no choice I couldn't lie in bed and just say oh you know this illness has me I've had to get up and move and I've done a pretty good job I have a 20 year old in college and a 14 year old sitting in exams 
Um, <laughs> so that Haley does need this wheelchair. It is to give her a better quality of life, like the person getting those pair of glasses to give you better quality at scene. So ableism should stop. People should mind their own business. It is not. It has nothing got to do with you. And I have a disability pass, and I can sit. I can sit in that disability seat in the bus or in the train. And I've had some very strange looks many, many times um, when I was more mobile on my feet. Um, people looked at me as if to say, "Why are you sitting? Why are you sitting there?" And I'd still stand up if an elderly person got on the bus with a cane, and I'd get out of that disability seat to let them sit there. But if I was on that bus journey longer than 20 minutes, I was on the floor of that bus by the end of that of, of that journey. So people just need to stop and really, you don't know what's going on because it's the same as mental health. You can't see somebody is suffering with their mental health on the outside. So if you don't know what's going on in somebody's life, just look after yourself. Look after your own flower pot, as we say here in Ireland, to carry your own <laughs> flower pot and never mind anybody else's. So I'm delighted that she has that now. Um, that'll give her extra confidence. It will help with her fatigue because she's not on her feet so much. She has a chronic illness. It'll always be chronic. It's not. It's not going away. She's her body's just adjusting to it now. For us that have it for so long, and it's hard for someone to see it from the outside, we adjust to it because we don't know what feeling normally healthy is now anymore. So it's just we're on a level every day. So like when we get a flare up, we could be on level ten, but on a, a steady day, it's a, it's a level five. So to look at somebody, even to look at Haley, and, and as her mother, and might think, oh, maybe, you know, is it the IVs that are helping her, and that her body is now getting used to this, this is her life, this is her her steady level now, but the fact that she is taking her power back from this illness, and she's saying, you work beside me, because I left that go because of the words of one doctor, and I didn't go in to see a doctor for 10 years, because I was told there was no treatment, and nothing they could do. And it led me down a very, very dark path of self-harming for many, many years and messed me up emotionally. And I had to go work, train and study to get my own mental health to where it is now. I think I think we um, well, from my from where I sit, I think we're getting there a little bit. I mean, this is becoming I I. Um, when I, I was at my own doctor's appointment the other day, um, and they said they were just getting some history or whatever. And they, and I said, oh, and my daughter has POTS and the nurse looked at me and I could tell she did not know what it was. And I just thought to myself, that hasn't happened in a while. The last couple of doctors I've talked to have written it down like, oh yeah, we know what that is. And so I said, but, you know, I said, well, can I tell you about it? And she's like, yeah. And so I, you know, I gave her a very brief little thing and, um, and I said, but don't, you know, don't be concerned that you don't know about it because not a lot of people do, but that's going to change. And so I do feel like it is changing. Um, I, I just think that um, it's just such a mystery illness. <laughs> and again, with the process of getting even just psychologically to the point to admit it is I, I wouldn't have been there when she was 11 or 12 I there's no way if somebody had said to me well we think this is pots I would have been like you're out of your mind she's a 12 year old girl um but at least even if I was in denial of the illness at least I would have known what to look for I would have I would have known well, this is what we can predict will happen with her if this is what she has. So keep an eye on it. And I think that her diagnosis could have come earlier. But, you know, I was saying I'm not a helicopter mom, so it really wouldn't have mattered. It's we still would have lived our life the same way. Um, I think as a parent, I have always raised my children with this um, with this, you know, uh, outward, you will be independent one day. You, you will always have me. You will always, I will always love you. But I, my worth and my value is not invested in you being my confidant, my caretaker. You know, Haley and I are great friends. I'm her mom but we can go two or three days without talking to each other. And in fact, when we do, 
Sometimes I'll just throw a note over to Austin real quick and be like, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, we're good. She's just, you know, she's just taking a break or whatever, but I don't get like all crazy. Like, oh my God, where, you know, is she okay? Because that's just was never my personality. That's probably why when she was really little and she would be like, this hurts or that hurts. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, come on. Almost like a suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. Let's keep going. Um, we just can't sit around and be sick. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then I've spent a lot of time even trying to be like, what, where, when did this happen? How did this happen? Not only now, just recently, even thinking that the genetics could be a really huge component on it. But Haley was, um, I have her and her brother are the two babies that I carried uh, biologically. And um, Haley kicked my butt from, I found out, I realized I was pregnant within like a week because I got so sick. And it continued for nine months through labor and delivery and beyond. And I just, for I mean, my son was two years old and my, their dad worked on the weekends. So on the weekends, I would just be dying from working all week. And my poor little two-year-old son would have to open up the refrigerator and get, talk about it, be, my kids are gonna be independent. He was two years old, getting his own drink, his own snacks and coming and saying to me, mommy, you sick, you need to go to the hospital. I remember him saying that to me and I was just like, no, Max, I'm okay. Just, you know, baby Haley's just hurting mommy today. And, um, and then when she was born, she was a perfect child. <laughs> she, you know, she almost had like a 10 on her app guard. They were just like, oh, she's the most perfect baby. Child just spent nine months trying to kill me. What do you mean she's perfect? And but now I think back, she was such a laid back baby. Well, she was spending a lot of her time sleeping. And when she wasn't sleeping, she was chilling out. She, you know, was the greatest lounger. You could put that child on your hip and cook dinner and wash dishes, and she'd just be hanging. Like you're like you know, little Reese's monkey. So now my I think that my Blake is the very same, very same, and he has pox. He's very same, very same. Killed me through the whole nine months. The worst pregnancy had me constantly in hospital. I had an emergency C-section, and he could win a gold medal for sleeping. And he is the most placid and layback child you'll ever meet, ever. Yeah. So see, now that's a similarity. <laughs> so where's, you know, somebody's got to be gathering this stuff up and asking these questions of, you know, genetic, um, any signs, you know, obviously many people have morning sickness throughout their whole pregnancy and their child doesn't get diagnosed with, you know, an, an uh, dysautonomia or any kind of disorder. But, um, but those similarities, I think, kind of help me not feel like I'm crazy <laughs> I mean you could be sitting there for days trying to backtrack where it came from I went through a stage of thinking it was a t I got a tick I still have the scar when I was younger into my knee and I remember my father lighting a match and quenching and using the hot sulfur to get it to get the tick to come out of out of my knee and I am um, then I was tracing back, was that when I really started getting sick? Because I spent an awful, 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 ridiculous amount of time um, in hospital from the age of seven till about 10. I'd be constantly being rushed um, by ambulance. Chronic pains, they put it down to. I mean, I was born in 1980, so you weren't going to get much answers back then when, when it's 1987 or 1988 when I was eight, going in and out of hospital with pains. And they're saying, Oh, it could be your appendix no it wasn't the appendix it's your kidneys I remember and them telling me to drink loads of lemon barley and putting me on fiber gel and then oh you must have passed kidney stones but it wasn't it was all coming from my digestive area because I still suffer at 41 with my digestive area so it's only when I start to go back through the story could it be this could it be that and I start piecing the things together and have had scans done that said I was born with um, congenital brain malformation. So it was, they, they maintain it came from inside the womb. Um, so could it, could it have been genetics? I still put it back to, because I've seen my father go through it and my son, I definitely think without a doubt, 
that it's it's genetic. Yeah, I um I, I believe in that too. You know, I we we joke because I thought I wanted to um place it on her dad's side of the family, but it was uh it was a big uh, lesson to like look at my own self and go, no, I think we all played a part in <laughs> in making her. But when she had those migraines, I was like, oh yeah, that's your dad's side of the family. My mother know. says the same. My mom says, my father, Lord rest his soul. <laughs> start to this body, you said, start to explain. You got that from your father's side. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, I just really, um, I guess, when I look back and look at the stages, I don't think anyone else that maybe is a newbie to this <laughs> and is trying to figure out their kids, you know, everybody's going to have their own process with it and their own way of dealing with it. I just, so I wanted to tell my story just in case any other parent is out there feeling that guilt or that uncertainty or that, um, that disbelief, not my child, this can't be, maybe can learn a little bit, take a step back, do your research, advocate for your child, um, be there, give them what they need. Don't be like me, buy a wheelchair without recommending an alternative um, solution. And just, um, you know, I, I know that this is just the first chapter that we're turning the page on that we've got a whole rest of a book left to live through and learn from she's got you know hopes and dreams for her future that we want to support her and and be able to make life as easy as possible for her so that she and her husband can look be looking towards the future and not just stuck in today and I um, and I think we're on a good path, but we're also aware enough to know that we could take two steps backwards. You know, she could go through a funk. She could need more support. She could, um, you know, some other symptoms could manifest themselves and we have to then regroup. But I feel like um, in our situation, just normalizing it, not making it be you know, obviously she has accommodations that she needs, but we don't really treat her any differently. Like she comes and she has to put her dishes in the sink and she has to pick up after herself. And, you know, when she comes to my house, it, we don't treat her different, but I, you know, we have four, my husband and I have four kids together. She definitely has a, I have a different eyeball on her, but every, all, every, all four of them, I have a different eyeball on. So, you know, she, she, it's, we don't, you know, it's not like she's, she gets any special treatment, but she requires special treatment. <laughs> so, and that's, yeah, I agree, you know, I agree completely with that. Um, because as somebody that has one of these conditions, you don't want to feel that you have a disability. I have a disability. I'm not disabled. That's the kind of the way we want to, we, we look at it. You know what I mean? I have a condition. The condition doesn't have me. I can do anything I want in the world. I just have a different way of doing it. But now it's if I do something, there's a consequence to it. So if I went out with, with friends or for coffee or something, I know my body will pay for that for days later. So instead of me saying before I can't do something, I can do it. But I know the consequences. So I choose not to do it. Um, I'm here doing this podcast because I'm at home all the time. This is my life. This is now going to be part of my son's life. Um, I want to create awareness. I'm doing what I love doing, what I found is my purpose. I'm doing it at home because I can sit at home. I can rest at home. I'm in the area that I need to be for my illness um, that will benefit me and keep my symptoms at low bay. So we can do anything we want to. And I've seen it in Haley from talking to her. She is the most determined and creative young lady I have ever come across. The world is her absolute oyster. And I think that because she's now getting herself mentally strong and telling herself, and I had reminded her of it as well, like, tell you, tell this illness, I'm taking the power back up. Like, you work alongside me, illness. You know, we're here together, we're a team. Um, she's awareness. Awareness to me is key in every format of life, no matter what you do in life, awareness is key to everything. So she's a, a high awareness of her body, what she needs. 
um, when she needs to rest. And with that, I mean, look at where her career is going because she's so aware of what her body can do when she needs to rest. She's now made a career adapt around around her conditions. And I mean, she's going to fly high. And I mean, we, we could see her creative director on the front cover of Vogue. I mean, the world is her oyster because she has chosen to take her power back. And things will be different, but it's our, it's our different and it's our normal, you know what I mean? And we do, we'll do things totally different. But by God, can we do things? We're not. We have a disability, but we're not disabled. Yeah, she's she's pretty cool. We like her a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep her for another while. <laughs> we're, keep, we're keeping her. We have to share her with other people, but we'll keep her. <laughs> I just want to ask you, because I kind of ask everybody on an episode when I can remember, what would be your three top tips as a parent um, coming to terms, I guess? with your child having this chronic illness or any type of advice you'd give another parent? Um, the first thing that comes to mind and probably won't be surprising based upon what I um, talked about is to listen when your child's telling you. Really listen when your child is saying something's up. I'm not saying 100% kids don't, you know, come up with stuff that's, you know, not you know, I think my mother used to laugh because when I was little, I was like, I've got a headache in my eyebrow. And my mother would be like, can we be any more specific than that? You know, um, and, you know, she'd be like, you're so melodramatic. But um, to listen, I think um, I have had some really, really good support systems to listen to me when I was panicking and freaking out so that I wouldn't panic and freak out to her. Um, and for those that weren't as supportive, I just learned those, I couldn't put them in my camp. They're still my friends, I still love them, but they're, I, I learned who would listen, who would believe it. And I think I posted on Haley's um, account the other day, the statement of, um, I believe you, which is what people with silent chronic illness <laughs> want to hear. And I, um, so it took some people a little bit, but I surround myself with people that believe, believe us. Um, my husband said the other day and he goes, I cannot believe that I used to just say, um, maybe if she just drank more water. I said, yeah, you said that like every day when she would be like, faint and like holding her head as she stood up or holding her stomach and he'd be like you're dehydrated drink more water well yes she probably was very much um losing hydration every single time she moved but water wasn't curing it and we know that now um and then the the last thing i think um that i have to practice more of but really just being present just living in the here and now, not panicking about the future, because when I think about that, I get really, really emotional because we don't know what the future will bring for her. Um, so just, you know, knowing that we're here today and we're sharing with each other today so that would be the tips. Listen, have a good support system, and try not to overthink it. Just try to be very present. That's not saying that you, you're inactive, like that you don't do anything to try to assist and accommodate. But um, I, you know, it could be a real dark place if you think about how this could manifest. And, um, and we're just not going to do that because it's not going to happen to this one. <laughs> no, exactly. It doesn't. It it doesn't kind of. It really doesn't get you anywhere. Worrying like steals your happiness of today. Realistically, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Just that's what I've learned myself because I've went through a huge journey in the last twelve months myself. Um, from a place of not wanting to like physically and mentally not wanting to be here, I had checked out in life to where I am today. Um, and it was the what ifs the house the, I mean, it was getting me nowhere it was only stealing from today and it was 
the more my mental health was declining, the more my physical health was declining and it, they were battling each other constantly. And you can, you can only be in the present moment because it's all you have. So when I wake up every morning, the first thing I do the minute I open my eyes is I just thank God. I say I'm grateful for today and I'm prepared for whatever, whatever you know, today brings. Because I find it funny now, like before I used to agree with people, but you know, when people just wake up and say, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm having a bad day. You're just awake. How do you know you're having a bad day? You're just after opening your eyes, you know? Um, and I, I find that funny now because you can change anything. Just your word set can change your mindset and it can change the whole outcome of your day. So I think being present is very, very, very important in what you're saying. Well, I know that she worked with her therapist. I, I, I probably shouldn't even share this. It might be a little confidential. I, I've heard that some cognitive restructuring, rethinking how you approach life, how you receive mm -hmm. messages um, really can be helpful, <laughs> especially, yeah. you That's know, Haley's done a lot of trauma work. And when she says that as a therapist and a mother, I get like really panic. Like, what do you mean trauma? Like, what, what are we talking about trauma? But um, she allocates the trauma to, you know, the loss, the grief and the loss of health, the grief yep. and the loss of missed opportunities and things like that. Um, so she, you know, <laughs> so she's learned a lot in counseling too. And I think that's important. You need to speak to somebody about it because it is grief. It is absolutely grief. You couldn't have worded it any any better. And the the medical gaslighting as well. It's just, whoo, if unless you've been through it, it's just an awful thing, an awful, awful, awful thing. So that's why we advocate, and that's why we educate, and that's why we make awareness so that people after us so the people now don't ever have to go through this tracy thank you so 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 thank so you so much and um, for taking the time out and sharing this because it, i know it will help a lot of people uh, with, with awareness it's not just one person that is going through this illness it's a whole family and as they always say it takes a village to raise a child um and you need a whole supportive village behind you for for things like that um so i know we let you off again thanks thank a million you. for taking the time out and we'll speak to you again soon no and thank you for what you do it's really really helpful thank you not at all thank you bye thanks again to this week's guest tracy for joining us and helping us to create more awareness for these conditions if you would like to follow tracy and her story you can find her on instagram at knits by sassy tea i do hope you will all come back and join us again as us warriors unite <laughs>